You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. It's great to be with you guys this morning, and I trust that you are doing well, and uh, I hope and pray that you have air conditioning this afternoon. And uh, somehow, I'm, yesterday when we were at Stephen Megan's, and by the way, so grateful for you to hosting us, and uh, that was awesome. But uh, somehow it was actually kind of cool. It wasn't that hot out there for the most part, unless you were one of the ones playing kickball. Then that's another story altogether. And uh, anyway, we had such a great time yesterday. I wanna, we're going to look this morning at a passage of Scripture where Jesus uh, washes the feet of his disciples. And uh, an incredible experience, so many lessons that for us to learn this morning, I believe God showed me in his word. And, uh, I, and a humbling thing along the way is Jesus did that. And we'll see that in just a minute. A number of years ago, I was, uh, at, it, it was a Sunday morning and I had shared, I don't remember the full circumstances of it, but, but I had shared how that I had been so busy with just ministries and responsibilities and different things. Just you, you have those seasons of life, right, where you're just kind of coming and going. You know, it's just you just, I mean, one appointment after the next. It's one of those things. And, and I hadn't been able to mow my lawn. And I happened to mention it. I think it was like a week or two or I was about to go out of town or something. And just like, oh, my goodness. And uh, I happened to mention after that service, we actually had two services at, at that church, and so what I didn't know, I think I'd shared it in the early service, is that some people who were there left, and they went and started mowing my lawn while I was gone, and I was blown away by that, because I really I wasn't expecting it at all, but the sense that I have was just not only feeling love, but humbled by that, you know, just, just humbled that they, in the hot day, and it was an older couple that would just give of themselves doing that, and it was just, it was deeply touching and deeply humbling as I, as I experienced it. We're going to see this morning in a very personal and a kind of a very intimate and special way as Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, and just how humbling that was to them, and Peter kind of choked up on it, as we'll see in a minute, but he gave them a, a model, something to remember. It's the, the night before, I mean, he's about to be betrayed, he's about to be crucified the next day. I mean, this is the whole picture of that, and yet we see him just loving and humbly serving his disciples, giving them a, an experience, a tangible reminder of the way they're supposed to live their lives. So read with me, if you would, in John chapter 13. We're going to see uh, John chapter 13. I want to read uh, probably half the story, and then I'll read the other half of it uh, as we kind of work our way through it. So the Bible says in verse 1, it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, arose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. 
Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter was never given to, you know, he's always extremes, one side or the other. He's like, okay, let's jump in the whole thing. I want all of it because I want all of you. And Jesus said to him in verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Peter, you're already bathed. What are you talking about? Just your feet's the only thing that's dirty, Peter. Like, kind of get with the program. And he says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Judas Iscariot is in the room, and he wanted to make very sure that people understood that there was one among them and wanted that individual to understand that they were not clean, we'll see in a minute, they were not clean from their sins. So four things. I want us to see this morning just a, a precious, intimate picture of who Jesus is and, and what he does for us, what he did for those disciples and what he does for us, ourselves, in, in that. And just the incredible picture of what Jesus does. The first thing that we notice about Jesus is that he loves us. We sang about it this morning. We saw it in the video. The picture of the cross is the greatest demonstration of love ever in the history of the world. And his love is what kept Jesus there. It wasn't the soldiers. It wasn't the guards. It wasn't the spikes through his hands and his feet. But his love is what led him there. And we get a picture of that this morning, because the Bible says that it's just the night of the feast, and he knew his time had come in verse 1. His hour was here. The moment had arrived where he's about to take upon himself the punishment of sin. And it, we, we focus on the physical side of that crucifixion of Jesus, you know, having the nails piercing his hands and his feet. But there's the spiritual side of it in which he who is perfect and without sin took upon himself the blame, took upon himself the shame, the guilt of all the sins, of our, every, our sins. He took upon himself. And so he's about to, to experience all of that firsthand. And yet the Bible says that he loved his own who were in this world, and he loved them to the end. He loved them to the very end. The biggest thing that I want us to recognize this morning is that Jesus loves us. He loves us. People who don't know Jesus personally have never experienced in a deep and satisfying way that love of God in their heart and in their life. No wonder they would be struggling with figuring out life. No wonder they'd be struggling figuring out what their identity is. No wonder they'd be struggling with all kinds of things inside of them because they've never experienced that for which they were made. We were made to know God and to glorify Him and to love Him and made us to be lived out our life within a close relationship, an abiding relationship with Him, and to be removed from that will do nothing but mess with your head and your heart and mess up your world. And so you and I should never take that for granted. You and I is so often we might, you know, struggle in things of life or whatever. And so often we take that simple fact that Jesus, our Lord, loves us. That he loves us today. He loves us yesterday. And he will love us tomorrow no matter what. And we should give pause and give thanksgiving to that. Now, love 
is a commitment before it's a feeling. We often think about in terms of human relationships, about the feeling of love, and we feel that. Oh, I love someone, and you know, I, I love them. But love begins with a commitment. You see, Jesus was committed to us, and He loved us to the very end. The feeling part of love really comes after the commitment. I'm, in, I'm amazed. Have you ever committed to do something and is that time for someone, and you're kind of on the fence, and you know you should probably do it, but you really don't want to do it, and deep down you're like, oh, you kind of, you know, all right, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to put a smile on my face, and we're going to like this, and we're going to do it. And as you get closer to that time, have you ever noticed the resentment build up in your heart, kind of the frustration in that, and the just, ah. Oh. Jesus isn't there, guys. He's walking to the cross and He's about to take on Himself the sins of the world when He didn't have to. And He's not bitter. He's not resentful. He's not frustrated. In fact, we see Him quite the opposite. Being gracious. He's not snippy. He's not snapping at the disciples. He's not in any way, shape, or form. And He is just to the very end loving them out of that commitment. Now, we usually, when we think about love, as I shared just a moment ago, we usually think about a, that first feeling that we have about somebody. That's really not love. That really is infatuation, right? I've been, my kids at home know I've been on a little bit of kick. I've been listening over the last few weeks to Scottish bagpipes. I'm really not a bagpipe guy, but uh, I, I watched it, and I didn't know what these things were. Like, you know, there are these bands. I don't know if they're in England, Australia. Like, I don't, you're probably here. I've never seen them. But, you know, they get the big thing going, and I don't know anything about the musical instruments. But they have there, and they're usually women, and they, they have, like, these, these drumsticks. They have one drum in front of them, and they have, like, the, the, the string or rope kind of woven between their fingers, and they twirl them, and they're all in sync, and it's cool. And I'm like, what in the world are those? I've never seen those. And my kid's are like, Dad, are you listening to the bagpipes again? You know, kind of whatever. I'm just on this little kick. I'm infatuated with those. I'm not in love with them. I'm not going to go out and learn how to do that and pay money to go to it and all of that. I think it's kind of cool. It is a passing infatuation, like, oh, that's kind of cool. You see, that's where our relationships are. Is they start with that kind of spark and interesting, oh, that person is intriguing. Oh, I like that. And we get that emotion. And very often, you know, as that is there, people get married in the middle of that, and we experience the honeymoon effect, if you will, which is kind of more of that. But then over time, reality hits. And the drums don't sound so cool, and the twirly things aren't so awesome anymore. And that's where couples have a choice, and each individual has a choice. Are you going to be committed in that relationship when that initial excitement and all of that is gone? Are you going to treat it more like your car or your cell phone, which says, you know what, this just doesn't work like it used to. This isn't as exciting as it ought to be. It's not as fast as it used to be. And it's, I'm going to trade this in and get a new model. 
And so often in our world around us, and we struggle with it, and I know these decisions are hard in relationships, and I'm trying to help us to understand the love that Jesus has for us, and we know that that picture for us as a church is a picture of, of husbands and wives. And so often that we want to just kick the old to the curb, and we want to find something new. And people repeat that cycle. But true love, the Bible describes and defines for us in, in 1 Corinthians, uses similar language as what we just saw here just a minute ago. But the Bible describes what real love is. And this is really not even love between a husband and wife. This is love that we're supposed to have for one another as followers of Jesus. And it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You see, the love that Jesus has, has for us is that enduring commitment to us. And that's that, that commitment that when we love for one another, then the genuine feelings follow. The commitment that we have to stay in with someone and to, to be committed, that's what happens really first in love. Yes, the spark can be there and there's an infatuation, but that, that burns off. That's like a vapor. And that commitment is what stays and then on the back end of that commitment, that deeper emotion of love, that love that comes within two people that are committed to one another, that have walked through some stuff together and have endured that and have learned to trust and be vulnerable and respect and live in such a way, that's when the true feelings of love begin to emerge that goes far beyond those initial infatuation, excitement, that deeper kind of love is absolutely amazing. And what we see is where Jesus is, is He's committed to us and He's not experiencing all of the resentment and the other stuff, but He's experiencing something else. Most marriages, from what I can see, many marriages, if not most, stop at the first one. That infatuation burns off and they trade it in in a relationship and go for somebody else. Many, relate, many relationships and marriages get to that state, stage two where they know this is a commitment, we're going to figure it out, we're going to work it out. Some, but not all of those, get to that stage three to where there is such a, a deep and abiding and they've worked through so many of those things. They've got miles together, both recognizing they're broken people but experiencing the free flow of just a depth of, of love and commitment out of one another. And that's the kind of picture that we see Jesus here for us, washing the disciples' feet, even knowing that it's because of who they are that He's got to die for them. That's the kind of commitment that God calls us into our own relationships, and that's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates for us. So, so the first thing I want us to recognize is that Jesus loves us, and He loves us deeply when we're completely guilty of all, and yet He just humbles Himself, is committed to us, and receives us, and He loves us. second thing I want you to recognize is not only does He love us, but He serves us. 
Those preparations had been made. This was a time when everyone was in town. Rooms and space were hard to come by. You, if you didn't get in and make your reservation with the latest Airbnb or hotel or whatever, you're kind of out of luck. And so, and Jesus knew that his hour had come, but he still was in control and managing things. He didn't want to be found just yet. And so this was kind of a secret meeting. This was a upper room secret meeting, if you will, a secret special time with his final uh, apostles and disciples. And so normally, you know, people coming in from out of town, it would have been normal, especially at Passover, for you to go into a special meal. For, for them, they would have been ceremonially washed and clean. They would have showered and bathed, and yet they would have walked in the street. Now, this is a street where there's thousands and, frankly, hundreds of thousands of sheep had been brought in to be you know, to be sacrificed. And when you're kind of living in that world with all the animals, I mean, the streets are not a very clean place to live. I mean, it's just, it's a dirty, filthy thing. So they were kind of clean from the ankle up, if you will. And it was normal and customary when you entered into someone's home that they would have a servant. And the first thing they would do would be to remove the sandals from your feet and to wash your feet. It's kind of a weird thing for us, you know. I mean, we wear shoes, the need for that's not that big of a deal. Most of our feet don't get dirty unless you're kind of one of those feral people that just walk around your yard all the time barefoot. Then your feet are probably kind of nasty underneath, you know. They just probably, you probably need to wash your feet before bedtime. But here it was normal when you'd go into a home and to have that happen. But this was a secret kind of a fast meeting, so there were no servants doing that providing that ministry. So there the apostles are, and they're lounging at the table, celebrating the supper that we know, uh, that we celebrate once a month, that looks forward to Jesus who would die on the cross. And Jesus gets up in the middle of that, and he takes off his kind of his outer tunic, and he takes a towel, some sort of large towel, and wraps it around himself, and he pours water in a pitcher. And they knew what, was, what he was doing. They... This has been done many times, and they're absolutely floored. And one by one, he went around, kneeling down at their feet, and he washed their feet, and he took the towel. And he comes to Peter, and Peter's having some misgivings. He's like, uh, I don't know about this, Jesus. You're, you're going to wash my feet? I can imagine Peter's just watching, you know. I don't know how many, if he was the last one or halfway through the list or whatever. And then Jesus is like, yeah, you don't get this now, but you will. And Peter's like, look, there's no way you're going to wash my feet. See, there's something intensely personal and humbling about Jesus coming to him that it blew his gasket. It it blew his emotional and spiritual circuit breaker. He's like, Jesus, this isn't for you. This is beneath you. I'm not worthy of this. You, you shouldn't be doing this. None of the apostles volunteered to do it. <laughs> it would have been a little odd for them not to have their feet washed and be sitting there, you know, be doing that meal. But none of them were about to step down and lower themselves to that kind of job. And so Jesus, our King of kings and Lord of lords, said, I'll do it. And Peter couldn't handle it whatsoever because Jesus was coming to him personally. He wasn't coming to the next door neighbor. He came to him personally. 
And he wanted to wash the filth and the grime and the nastiness off of him. I wonder how often Jesus has come to you personally up close and you've become uncomfortable with it and taken a step back. Like, no, no, Jesus. Because it's more comfortable to not face him sometimes. I wonder how many of us that he wants to humble himself and to wash the filth out of our life and to wash our feet. And we've said, Lord, that's too much. I, I, can't, I can't handle it. It's, it's too much. How many of you get a little wigged out when other people's feet touch you? I only see a few hands. Some of you are a little bashful. Like, are we really going to ask that, Sean? I, I'm there. Like, you know, at our house, if there was a bunch of us watching movies, there's only, what, seven of us that live there now, and kind of all the feet point to the middle of the room, right, on the, the, the ottoman. I just, I don't like other, my wife's okay. I'm cool there. Out, kids? Gross. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and they know it. Like, just... There is an invisible wall you do not touch. Your feet do not touch dads. It's just too close for me. I just don't like it. Some of you are like, Sean, this is no big deal. Like, I, you're probably right, but it's just a thing I have. Because it's just it's close and personal, and I don't know. And that's what Peter's experiencing. I want us to recognize in a good way this morning that once again, Jesus is demonstrating that what this Christian life is about is not some sort of form of religion that we adhere to. It's not some sort of set of rules and things that we go through, set of rituals that we just follow. But He comes to us personally to serve us and to get close to us and to untie the sandal, if you will, or our shoes and to pull it off gently, and to service in the most menial, humbling, personal way imaginable. And we should allow Him to do that. Because Peter said, Lord, you, you should never do this. And Jesus said very clearly, look, Peter, if you don't let me do this, you will have no part or no share or no, no future with me. Peter, if you don't let me serve you in this way, your eternity is in the balance. That word share or part, it's, it's, it's a loaded word. Jesus is saying, look, if you don't let me do this now, you're never going to be a part of my kingdom. You'll never have a future with me in heaven. In fact, you will miss out on all of that entirely if you don't let me wash your feet, Peter. And that's why Peter got it. He's like, then Lord, do everything. Like, my hands are dirty, my head, like, don't stop. I don't want to miss out on all of that. I want you. So this morning, are you letting Jesus wash your feet? Are you letting Him come to you? Because Jesus wants to do this continuously in our life. Are you letting Him come and get close and personal into your life? intimately. Most of us want to put up a wall. We put up a wall in, other, for, in front of other people, and we even put up little walls in our own minds where we don't want to face realities and hide. And we tend to come unglued 
when that gets broken through, but that's the kind of God we serve, is He doesn't do it at a distance. Jesus comes to us up close, intimately acquainted with our life, to serve us. And He does it, He serves us for a specific purpose, and this is the third thing. He not only loves us, He serves us, but He cleanses us. Jesus, in answering Peter, as He says, He says, look, Peter, if I don't wash you, kind of wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Jesus said, look at what He says. He says, those who are already bathed, those who are already completely washed, in verse 10, the one who is bathed, different word in original language than the wash, kind of a fully, you've been hosed down and scrubbed clean, Peter. You don't need to get a little washing except for his feet. But is completely clean. Jesus, as he always does, is taking a physical reality and making a spiritual application. He's saying this, Peter... I've already cleansed you of your sin. You're already washed, and your sins are white as snow. But Peter, you've walked out down the street, and you've been in the world a little bit, and your feet have gotten a little bit dirty. And I need to kind of deal with those sins that you've kind of let crop up in your life. Peter, this is a normal part of life. You don't need to be hosed down all over. Your sins are forgiven. You see, when you and I receive Jesus as Lord of our life and He forgives us of our sins, the Bible says is that He washes us white as snow. He, he puts us in His hazmat. You know, He takes us, you've seen, whether movies or whatever, and you know, He puts us into that and He hoses us off and He sterilizes us and He cleanses us. From all unrighteousness, the Bible says, removes that sin from us. But yet we are still in this world. And as we live our life, we still get dirty along the way. And Jesus is telling us, the guys, we should expect to get dirty even as followers of Him. And we should recognize that Jesus, even though He's washed our sins away entirely... We've been scrubbed down when we received Him as Lord of our life, that we should recognize that we still get dirty and that He still wants to and still needs to come and clean that off our feet. Now, the difference is, is that when you and I walk in this world, that sin in our life doesn't jump on us doesn't hide behind corners and dark alleys and somehow stick to us. You know, you go walking through the woods or through brush or whatever, and you come out and you get those little burrs or those little seeds, they stick to you, you know, and you got to pick them off. That's the way the Jewish world thought sin worked. If you were a godly person, the priest didn't want to be around ungodly people because they thought somehow those sins were going to jump off of them and that contamination would get off of them and onto, you know, onto you, and then you would be contaminated. That's not how this works. The sins that you and I get into after we are followers of Jesus, they actually 
come from the inside of us. They come from the inside out. Several years ago, we were uh, my family and I were camping. I think we were going to Maine at the time, and we were camping overnight in New Hampshire. And it seems like my wife will probably correct me. You know how that works. I probably am like gluing three different trips together in one. I didn't. I should have pre-qualified all of this with her. But I think it was like Father's Day weekend, and I remember we rode the train for free. It was pretty awesome. I, I rode the train for free since I was dad, and had to, I think the young kids got on for free. It was great. It was one of those good deals. And anyway, we camped. And I was out scrounging some firewood just for the fire at the campsite that night. And I had on, I had on open-toed sandals, kind of like yours, Tom, just, you know, walking through, getting. And I put my foot right into a branch that I didn't see. And it was just kicked right up between my pinky toe. And I mean, it went right inside my toe. By the way, that was the day that you ever see me. I enjoy the outdoors too much. I don't ever wear open-toed sandals because the things I like to do get me in trouble. And I pulled the stick out. And I hobbled around the rest of that day, and, and we got to my in-law's house, and I'm like, that is getting red, it's getting infected, and I put, you know, the antibiotic on it and all of that, and kind of watched it, and, and it finally went away, and it was okay. Two years later, it started hurting in that same spot again. Like, after the second or third day, I said, honey, this is weird. Remember that spot? Like, I mean, it's like two full years later. Remember when I did that? Yeah, I'm like, it's hurting, and it's... And it looks kind of like, doesn't it look red? It looks weird. And she looked down at it, and she's like, it's kind of hard. And she pushed on it and outsquirted another piece of stick that was still in my foot, like an inch long, that I didn't, hadn't gotten it all out of there. Some of you are yeah, like, oh, my goodness. Like, Sean, would you give us a warning, you know, that this is going to be gross and graphic? Just be glad I haven't had any experience as an ED nurse or a doctor or anything like that. That's what this is about. You see, the sins actually, as we walk in the world, it's not that we hang around ungodly people and therefore we get some of their sin on us. It's actually we hang around those people and it brings that stuff to surface that's already inside of us. And Jesus says, i got to keep getting that stuff out of you. Because it's down deep inside of you. Yes, you are washed. Yes, you are clean. Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, you are my child. But you are still messed up inside and you're carrying around contamination inside of you. And I got to keep washing your feet because it's going to work its way out of you. And that's what I have to do. You see, folks, if you don't have times regularly in your life where Jesus is washing your feet, there's something wrong. There's something deeply wrong. Either you're not a follower of Jesus at all, and so he's not doing it, or you are a follower of Jesus, but you're just compartmentalizing in your world, and you're not slowing down enough, and you're not spending enough time with him to where he even has a chance to slow you down. You're busy running down the street through all the mess of everything, and he's like, yeah, they would stop. I'd clean them up. So Jesus wants to cleanse us. He wants to forgive us in a relational way to clean us up. We don't need to be bathed all over again. We don't need to be saved all over again. God's already forgiven us, but He needs to wash that junk out of our life. Folks, too often we make excuses for our sin. And yes, we're forgiven, but our attitudes and our actions and our behaviors and all of those things, we have a responsibility. 
to go to him and say, Lord Jesus, would you cleanse me? Would you heal me? And he wants to come to us to forgive us and wash us. And folks, it's humbling. When those sins get pointed out, it's humbling when God begins dealing with that in my life. And I'm thinking, I knew better than that. Why did I do that? And Jesus just looks up into our eyes, as it were, and says, I know, but I still love you, and I'm washing it away. He cleanses us. He delivers us from all of that garbage. Fourth thing, and then I'm done. Not only does He love us, not only does He serve us, not only does He cleanse us, but He turns around and He sends us. Look at verse 12. When He had washed their feet, He went one by one. This would have taken a little bit of work, a little bit of time. He went one by one, and He put on His outer garments, and He resumed His place, and He said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? In verse 13, You call Me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. I'm teaching you in classes and session. You need to learn. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash, get the next one, one another's feet, each other's. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. We talk about service a lot in churches, and we should, and we should serve other people. But sometimes the hardest ones to serve are the ones that are closest to us. And Jesus says that we have a responsibility to wash one another's feet here. It should be something that we should expect and regularly do. There's three ways that I can tell that we try to do this as a church. And like most things, we ought to and can do better. But one, every week, when regardless of who's preaching or speaking up here, that's an opportunity. We're the pastors as we try to study God's Word and listen to what God's trying to do and say in a passage and speak in a way that it's a way of serving and God to wash your feet afresh and anew every week because you've spent the last seven days walking around in the world and probably there's some spot on your foot or another part of your body that's getting a little sore and God wants to clean up and get rid of some of that junk out of your life. The second way we do is with our life groups. That's really a big purpose of our life groups is so that we're together and that as we have conversations around the gospel and around God's Word, and as people share their stories and their experiences, that we get challenged and reminded and encouraged. And it's an opportunity for the church body then to participate and to share and help clean one another up. And that's humbling in that, but it's needed. And then the third way, and this is where it gets a lot more personal, but for each of us, there's times in our life where we need somebody else to kneel down and wash our feet. There are times in each person's life where we're in a spot that we just don't do it very well whether we can't bend over and can't quite do it or get our shoe off or kind of like I asked my wife, I'm like, honey, it looks red, but I can't get my eye way down there. Can you really look at that? I needed somebody else to take care of it. And we need that. But what keeps us from doing it and allowing it, most often than not, I think, is probably pride. We don't want to be in a spot where we're needed. 
And we don't want to be outed dealing with a particular sin or an area of our life because we want to be the people that have our act together. And Jesus says, look, this is if I did this for you, you got to realize you need to turn around and do it for each other. There's two or three things that I get really nervous about as a pastor, and I've shared probably most of these in different ways, but one, I get really nervous when... when I sense and people are grabbing at titles and positions and pride and that kind of thing. I get I get really nervous. Second thing, I get really nervous when in our church or any church really when when people aren't trusting Jesus. You know, more and more people aren't receiving Jesus as Lord and being saved and having their lives changed. I just get really nervous and coming unglued in that. And the third one is is. When Bible studies and life groups kind of stay at just surface superficial levels, we're kind of things that we all know the answers to, and they become more theological discussions and discussions that might be more academic or suited, you know. And there's a lot in this world, we want to know the deep stuff, we want to go into all of those conversations. Can I tell you, yes, those things can be helpful at times, but what we really need is just for Jesus to wash our feet (laughs) and to change our life. Like, they really didn't need a big theological discussion at this point in their life. And what Jesus said is, I just need to wash your feet. And so I get nervous when churches, when, when people, and we're not really being dealing with our sin and God growing and just being honest with where we are. I just, I start getting really nervous when relationships and conversations just all stay superficial at that level. Am I saying that we collectively all together should just have at it? No. There's multiple levels. Life group gets it to a little bit deeper level, one-on-one and personally outside of those relationships and prayer partners and people meeting and engaging and helping individually with that. That should be something that's a part of our church life. Because that's what Jesus told us to do, to wash one another's feet. So He sends us not just in this world to bless our community and we want to continue to do well and even more so in that. I, I love being a church. So many churches are busy advertising to come sell and buy stuff from them. I love being a church that says we're taking of our money and we're just giving it back to the community. I love being that kind of church. We also are called to wash one another's feet. So this morning, what has God spoken in your heart about? Have you been resistant with somebody trying to wash your feet? Sometimes we get offended. Sometimes we get mad. And what we don't realize is when we push that person away, we're pushing Jesus away because the last verse is this, of of this passage. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus is saying this, sometimes when people are coming to you to help wash your feet, and to get to that point, they have to say, hey, your feet are dirty. Hey, I see some sin in your life. There's a challenge in there. And sometimes we resist it. And Jesus says, if you resist that other person, I'm the one who sent them. You're resisting me. But if you receive that person that's genuinely trying to help you, not be judgmental, not being harsh, not being obnoxious, but genuinely trying to serve and help you, when you receive them, you're receiving me. And you're receiving the one who sent me. So where do your feet need to be cleaned? Where are you resisting Jesus? 
where are you and maybe in your pride just saying, oh, I don't want to do that. I've, maybe, maybe you've just gone through a season of your life where you trusted Jesus long ago, but just haven't been dealing with sin and think you're act, you've got your act all together. And Jesus says, yeah, no. I've washed you. You're saved. But your feet are looking kind of smelly and stinky. And you need to get washed. So whatever God is kind of speaking into your heart this morning, guys, respond to Him today. Respond to Him. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank You for the Lord Jesus. Lord, I am so grateful that He washes feet, that He washes our soul clean. And then He continues to come to us. He doesn't just take us through a ritual ceremony that frees us and washes us and says, see you later. But He intimately walks in our life to regularly clean and bring out the impurities that seem to come around just as we live life in this messed up world. And it's not that the world gets on us, that the world's already inside of us. And we just, it begins coming out as we walk through this messed up world. So Lord Jesus, I pray you'd wash us, help us to wash one another's feet in a way that we humble ourselves, both in cleaning and receiving the cleaning, and truly serve one another. Lord, we lift our hearts to you. We ask for your help and your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.